It's religion today, it's ideology today, and our secularist friends also have a faith. Some kind of Disneyland fantasy. I know how this is going to get heard in the secular world. Where the pseudo-Christian masks are off. That's nonsense, ladies and gentlemen. Apologetics isn't just about giving answers to other people's questions. It's also about learning to question other people's answers or even question the question itself. In a Christian worldview. Well, welcome to Quantum number 224, The Red Ripple. We are going to look in a little bit of detail at the midterm US elections. Quantum's a podcast that looks at news and views from and culture from all over the world. Uh, sometimes we focus on some things more than others. This is from a Christian perspective, but we welcome perspectives and insights from everybody. It's for everyone. Now, over the past few weeks, I've been working through the top 10 scientifically proven songs to make you happy um, because of an article I'd read which suggested that and these are mine and I think this is number six and since we're gonna begin with the US let's also begin with this very positive US song Sweet Home Alabama. Um, it's an interesting backdrop to the song because in the lyrics itself, Leonard Skinnerd, of course it's by Leonard Skinnerd, Leonard Skinnerd castigate Neil Young. Neil Young had written a song called Alabama, which attacked uh, basically Alabama and perceived racism and so on. Fascinating that um, after... Three of the members of Leonard Skinner died in a plane crash in 1977. Young then performed a medley of Alabama and Sweet Home Alabama as a tribute. And according to Rolling Stone, he's never played Alabama again. And in 2012, he said this, Alabama richly deserved the shot Leonard Skinner gave me with their great record. I don't like my words when I listen to it today. They are accusatory and condescending, not fully thought out, too easy to misconstrue. Well, good for him. I actually like Neil Young, and, and good for him for saying that. And would that we all had that degree of humility when we screw up. Good evening, and thank you for joining us on this Wednesday night. Tonight, President Biden is celebrating what he called a strong night for Democrats after his party outperformed expectations in the midterms. The president says Americans sent a clear and unmistakable message last night about democracy and abortion rights in a rare, wide Well, where are we at? And why, let's just think about this a little bit. Why do the midterm elections matter so much? I actually don't think they do for most of us in the world, but because our media, particularly in the English-speaking Western world, is so dominated by American media that American culture wars and American politics is deemed to be of great importance in Australia and in the UK and elsewhere. 
I'm a bit of a politics nerd, so I love uh, speculating about these things and watching these things. And I've been watching. I hadn't didn't stay up at night, but I've been watching when I got up the different results coming in. And uh, as at the point of recording, it looks as though the Republicans will take control of the House just. Uh, the New York Times estimate they'll have 224 seats. They need 218 for a majority. They have about they have 210 at the moment, and there's about another 30 to declare. 35 to declare, I think. The Senate, that's on a knife edge. That is balanced at 48-46 in favour of the Republicans, but there are two independents who basically are Democrats and always vote with the Democrats, so it's 48-48. If it was 50-50, then that would be the current situation and uh, the vice president would always have a casting vote and therefore the Democrats would have control. There are four states left. One will go to Arizona, so that will take the Republicans to 49 At the moment, it looks as though Nevada could go to the Republicans, although that's not so certain. Arizona looks like it will go to the Democrats, so there are still lots of votes to be counted there. And that would therefore put them at 50 to 49, which leaves Georgia and the Democratic candidate finished just ahead of the Republican candidate and the Republican candidate. Uh, that What that means is they're going to have to have, in, in Georgia's rules, they're going to have a runoff in December. And so we could have a runoff in December, which determines who's in charge. Okay, what, what's been going on here? Because it was expected that there would be a red wave, and probably there should have been a red wave, given the state of the economy given the performance of Biden. But some people think the abortion issue, which may well indeed have been one, I'm afraid that there are far too many Americans who are prepared, who think that the right to kill their own children is a fundamental human right and one that they are prepared to vote for. I find that utterly reprehensible and depressing. And if that is true, then there is no question but that the US is under the judgment of God. Another big factor was the economy. Uh, and I think there's another fact I'm going to come to in a moment. Some people say that the Democrats used this thing about uh, democracy was at stake. Now, I find that bizarre in lots of ways. Joe Biden, for example, said democracy is more than a form of government. It's a way of being, a way of seeing the world, a way that defines who we are, what we believe and why we do what we do. Democracy is simply that fundamental. No, it's not. Democracy is a system of voting. It's a system of government. It doesn't define who we are. And democracy, we've ended up with this rather strange situation where the Democrats seem to be saying, if you don't vote for the Democrats, you're not voting for democracy. And if the Republicans win, it's not democracy. Now, if you have a situation where only one party can win, that's not democracy. And then there's this rather bizarre thing that the Democrats, now, I don't know if you know this, but they backed, trumped backed election-denying Republicans. They helped them defeat their moderate Republican opponents during the primaries. Very effective strategy. There were eight Democratic candidates who benefited from that strategy, and they were all going to win their races. But why did they do that if they considered them to be so dangerous? It's a, 
it's a terrible way to behave. You know, I'm not really impressed with many politicians, but this guy does impress me. Listen to this. We have embraced freedom. We have maintained law and order. We have protected the rights of parents. We have respected our taxpayers, and we reject woke ideology. We fight the woke in the legislature. We fight the woke in the schools. We fight the woke in the corporations. We will never, ever surrender to the woke mob. Florida is where woke goes to die. That is DeSantis from Florida. Now, what is fascinating, he's had a very good election. Florida was once a swing state, and it's now solidly Republican, largely because of him, the way he handled the pandemic, a much more open thing and the way he deals with woke issues and so on. Um, and he's not Trump in many ways. Uh, I, I think one of the reasons that the Republicans did not sweep both the Senate and the House is because of Donald Trump. Um, I, you know, he's, he's just an unbelievable man. In an interview before the polls closed on Tuesday, he said this. This is Donald Trump. Well, I think if they win, I should get all the credit. And if they, they lose, I should not be blamed at all. I think he means it. The next day, he was blaming his wife for suggesting he endorse Mehmet Oz, who was the man who lost Pennsylvania for the Republicans. I, I don't understand this. I don't understand how so many Christians are so defensive of Donald Trump. Donald Trump is a narcissistic, lying, horrendous character. It's true that he may be, have been better than Clinton, but to endorse him as the Christian candidate, the man is an absolute hypocrite. He, he's rude, he's crude. I mean, he said about DeSantos because he fears him, challenging him. He said about him, he, he called him, de-sanctimonious. Well, I think in his world he may think that's witty. It's petty, it's childish, it's petulant, and America cannot afford to have him as president again. I don't think America can afford to have Biden as president either, nor Harris. So if, if, you, if you're a Republican, I think you've got to go for someone like DeSantis. I think if you did, it's almost inevitable that you would walk all the next elections. Unless the Democrats also can come to their senses because they've got some crazies in there too. But we pray for America. It's, you know, it's such a mess. All right, let's come on to some good news from elsewhere. Uh, this. The Ethiopian government has agreed a peace deal with Tigrayan rebels after two years of fighting. The cessation of hostilities was announced in Pretoria, where the two warring sides have been holding negotiations. There was a surge in fighting before the diplomatic breakthrough mediated by the African Union. At least half a million people have died from fighting, hunger and disease related to the conflict in the region. Today is the beginning of a new dawn for Ethiopia, for the Horn of Africa, and indeed for Africa as a whole. Let me hasten to thank God for this new dawn. We have seen in practice and actualization what we have tried to achieve for ourselves over the years, and that is Africa's solution 
for African problems. Now, isn't that wonderful news? The Ethiopian government and the Tigray People's Liberation Front have agreed to a permanent ceasefire. Uh, possibly half a million dead in the, in the war that's been there. Um, we, we don't hear much about it. We certainly don't hear as much about it as we do with Ukraine. And I always wonder why that is. But I'm very thankful. I think we should be very thankful that it appears as though that war is going to cease. And I hope it does. And speaking of Ukraine, of course, the Russians are about to evacuate, or if they've not already evacuated Kherson, um, people want to celebrate that. Maybe you can celebrate if you want. I just want to celebrate when the war is over and ended. And then, well, let, let me see if you can work out what our next subject is. Here's the flying lizards. Your love gives me such a thrill. But your love won't pay my bills. I want money. That's the song, Money, That's What I Want. What's this to do? This is to do with COP27. I find it unbelievable that people are seriously talking about paying what they call reparations to poorer countries in order to for, for climate change. It, I, it, to me, I, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. What needs to be done with poorer countries is help them develop so that they can then become wealthy enough that they can deal with climate change the way, say, Australia does, which is not to deal with climate change at all. We just farm out our carbon to China and then uh, pretend that we're carbon net zero or whatever. Here's the thing about China. This is the most astonishing statistic you will hear this week. Listen to this very carefully. China has emitted more carbon dioxide over the past eight years than the UK has since the start of the Industrial Revolution. Between 1750 and 2020, the UK emitted 78 billion tonnes of carbon dioxide into the, af- into the atmosphere, compared with China's emissions of 80 billion since 2013. China wants reparations. It's not going to pay them the second wealthiest country in the world. It's just unbelievable. And last week we talked about hypocrisy, and I think of hypocrisy in this way. The US military emits more CO2 than 100 countries. So they can keep flying their bomber jets. The rest of us are not supposed to fly at all unless we're super wealthy, like Atlantisian co-founder Mike Cannon-Brooks and Andrew Forrest, who are funding green Teals and others here who who support all the kind of climate change stuff and want to ban coal. And yet the hypocrites that they are, Oxfam has pointed out that Mike Cannon-Brooks and Andrew Forrest top the list of Australians on a global ranking of billionaires with the biggest carbon footprint. These billionaires emit one million times or are responsible for one million times higher carbon dioxide emissions than the average person. That doesn't include private jets, multiple mansions, and yachts. Just wow. And sticking with the climate change, Greta Thunberg this week uh, admitted that, uh, she's got a book launch, of course, that uh, colonialism, imperialism, oppression, and genocide by the so-called global north, that's what has to be stopped. 
And she points out that nearly all her critics, she was speaking to the comedian Russell Howard, uh, that her critics were heterosexual, white, privileged, middle-aged men. Says she, speaking to a heterosexual, white, privileged man, middle-aged man. And then, listen to this woman. Hello, my name is Louise. I'm 24 years old and I'm here. I'm here because I don't have a future. And you might hate me for doing this and you're entitled to hate me. But I wish you would direct all that anger and hatred at our government. They are betraying young people like me. I wouldn't have to be there if they did their lawful duty to their own citizens. I'm part of the Just Stop Oil Coalition demanding an end to all new oil and gas licenses in the UK. What we're asking for is what all the scientists are asking for, what the United Nations are asking for, the international energy, the IPCC. How many more people have to say, we don't have a livable future if you continue licensing oil and gas for you to listen? Why does it take young people like me up on a gantry on the M25 for you to listen? Now, she stopped the traffic, helped shut down the M25 for more than five hours. Um, And I'm sorry, apart from being hysterical, and irrational and not telling the truth and not understanding what's going on. She's also a hypocrite. She owns a petrol car. Uh, She's a Cambridge, Louise is a Cambridge educated wannabe pop star vegan who compares the campaign to that of the, for climate change, to that of the Irish rebels fight for independence. And she said she was like a prisoner of war, but she drives a 2009 Fiat Punto, which runs on unleaded petrol. And yet these people go around smashing petrol stations to prevent people refueling and blockade, and then they blockade refineries. No thanks. That is hypocrisy. All right, something else that uh, I personally feel very passionately about, but first of all, I'll introduce it with this song. I am a nurse. I am a nurse. It don't get much better than this, but it don't get worse. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? I sing the verses. I went to roll this comatose over. Accidentally rolled him out of bed. Oh, when he landed on the floor, it was upon his head. But he came out of a 10-year coma. Got up and thanked me for the fall. But his wife and her attorney Next day sued me for it all. Come on now. I am a nurse. Oh, I am a nurse. Boy, it don't get much better than this, but it don't get worse. Sing it out now. Oh, I am a nurse. What are you? I am a nurse. That's Gene Cotton singing a, a song at the nurses' conference. You know what they say? Uh, the saying is, save one life, you're a hero. Save 100, you are a nurse. Now, the Royal College of Nursing, UK-wide, has voted for the first time to go on strike. I think it's appalling that nurses go on strike. I think it's ridiculous that nurses go on strike. And I also think that in this case, it is completely justified. What is appalling and ridiculous is the way that both the UK government and the Scottish government treat nurses. 
because they know that most of them are in it because they care for their patients and they use them as cheap labour. The Health Secretary for Scotland, the Scottish Government, Hamza Yousaf, says the Scottish Government doesn't have any more money. And yet, Nicola Sturgeon just announced that she would give five million to other countries as climate change reparations. They seem to find money for what they want. I think that it is a, a, a just a desperately depressing situation. I know nurses who are paid less than some shop assistants, work ridiculous hours, 13-hour shifts. And one of the problems is the government spends lots of money on managers and bureaucrats, of which there need to be some. But I think if you go and look at the statistics and the figures, there are far more. And they, they are on much higher pay grades than the nurses. And in the old days, you'd get a manager if there was a shortfall in the ward. They'd been a nurse. They would go in and they would chip in. Not now. They're pen pushers. And there's a lot more that I could say about that. But I fully support the, the nurses doing that. And I, I think the NHS is in a mess and it's broken. And both governments need to get their act together. Okay, do you know this? There's a bear in there And a chair as That is the theme tune for Play School. Um, yeah, you think Play School. Nice children's thing. Play School we had in the UK. I'm sure it's the equivalent Sesame Street or something in, in the US. Here in Australia it was. And then came this story. Listen to this. And I've got a couple of questions about some program, programming matters. And at the moment, the ABC is airing a program called Courtney Act, The Spectacular Suit, in which a male drag performer, Shane Jenick, reads a children's book. Uh, called The Spectacular Soup, this is it here, uh, about a female child wanting to wear male clothing. The program was rated G, uh, and it's been heavily promoted on TV and on the app. My question is this, why is the ABC grooming Australian children with this sort of adult content? Uh, I Senator, I don't see that as grooming uh, children with that content. That, that particular program is reading from a book that's about dressing up. So I think this female is... Female children in male children's clothing. You think that's just, that's not subliminal? I mean, young girls wearing pants. Sorry, chair. Seriously. Chair. We can't, I, have the, we, I have the call. Thank you. Well, Mr. Anderson. it's offensive. Well, it's not, a, well, if it's offensive, you it's don't have to deeply, hang around. Deeply. Now, that is Senator Alec Antic questioning David Anderson, the managing director of the ABC. And notice the reaction. The Green senator just kept interrupting. You see, this is not about a girl wearing trousers. That's not what this is about. This is about having a sexualized adult, a drag queen, come in and not come in, but on the ABC promote that. It is about the grooming of children. It's targeting children to prepare them for sexual abuse or exploitation, not just in the sense of actual physical abuse, but inculcating and indoctrinating children through education and entertainment into ideologies like critical race theory and queer theory. And I think that it's grooming, and I think it's wrong. And I'm very thankful for people like that senator. 
The ABC chair says, I don't see a gender dysphoria problem, which is true. In the ABC, they don't. Yet a wonderful article from Janet Ulbrichson pointed out that the ABC, that gender dysphoria is a serious and complex issue, which the ABC refuses to deal with. Despite having thousands of journalists, editors, producers and researchers, they don't investigate these important changes that are occurring and what's going on and how increasingly the likes of NHS England, for example, are recognising that their policy on transgender has been wrong. Thanks to those of you who contacted me about the Church of England. Yes, the Bishop of Oxford, Dr Stephen Croft, has said that there needs to be, they need to accept same-sex marriage. Um, I thought this response from Calvin Robinson was spot on. On Friday, the Right Reverend Dr Stephen Croft, Bishop of Oxford, published a 52-page essay calling for same-sex weddings to be allowed in the Church of England within their own churches. But this is not an issue of equality or human rights. Civil partnerships and civil marriages are an option for everyone outside of the church. This is a matter of faith. Christians who are not called to marriage are called to a life of celibacy. The Bible is very clear on this matter. Sex is for people who are married, and marriage is between one man and one woman. These views might seem outdated or old-fashioned or even otherworldly by today's standards, but they are the official teachings of the church. Why then are these progressive liberal bishops attempting to change Christian doctrine? To be more inclusive, to catch up to the 21st century? Are they wrong to be considering this? In my opinion, it's not their job. Their job is to defend the faith. It's not our place to meet secular society where it is. We are called to be in the world, but not of the world. It is our job to shine a light on the ever-darkening world around us, to offer hope by preaching the gospel, to tell people that it's okay. Calvin Robinson, by the way, they refuse to ordain him. Chris Byant, Labour MP, says that he can, because of that, he can now see why the C of S knew, uh, the C of S, C of England rather, was not convinced this man had a priestly vocation. And then someone else sent me this from a sermon from a Catholic priest in, I think this was in Ireland, although it was broadcast in Northern Ireland. What is so sad today is you rarely hear about sin, but it's rampant. It's rampant. And we see it, for example, in the legislation of our governments. We see it in the promotion of abortion. We see it, for example, in the, in the example of this lunatic approach of transgenderism. We see it, for example, in the promotion of sex between two men or two women. That is sinful. That is mortal sin. And people don't seem to realize it. But it's a fact. It's a reality. And we need to listen to God about it. Because if we don't, then there's no hope for those people. And so God is also telling you and me today, look. You have a responsibility to seek out those who are lost. You have a responsibility to call people to an awareness of the fact that sin is destructive. Sin is detrimental. And sin will lead us to hell. When we, when we honor the saints on the first of this coming month, we honor people who are saints. Why are they saints? Because they repented and because they sought forgiveness. As somebody said one time, Heaven is full of converted sinners. And so today, God says to us, I have come to call sinners. But if you don't admit you're a sinner, then you're not listening to my call, and I can't do anything for you. Because it's a two-way street. 
Now there are people you see who won't like to hear what I'm saying. But the day you die, you will find out that what I'm saying is not what I invented. It's not what I came up with. It's what God is saying. And the day you die, you will find out that is the truth. Our prayer for people is... Now what's astonishing about that is that the priest was teaching Catholic doctrine. That's exactly what he was doing. His name is Father Sheehy. But the Bishop of Kerry published a statement on the diocesan where website saying he was aware of the deep upset and hurt caused. He apologised to all who were offended. The views expressed do not represent the Christian position. Actually, they do. They represent the Catholic position. They represent the teaching of the Catholic Church. More importantly, they represent the teaching of the Bible. Why is a bishop apologising for the teaching of the Bible? Okay, I wonder if you've seen this film. The power of nature will threaten them. Our enemy has more than twice our guns, more than twice our numbers. And we are supposed to stop them. Torn between fulfilling his duty. Captain's not called Lucky Jack for no reason. Phantom or no, Lucky Jack will have And the lives of the men he commands. Steady! He must face the invincible. He fights like you, Jack. A hunter becomes the hunted. Well then, there's not a moment to lose. That's Master and Commander with Russell Crowe, an utterly brilliant film. I was reminded of it because of uh, The Rest is History, which is just the greatest podcast in the world, better than this one. And uh, Tom Holland and Dominic Sandbrook did a series of three on the Battle of Trafalgar, which is one of the most fascinating things I've heard. And one of the things that struck me was, in the Navy, the Battle of Trafalgar, officers like Nelson had to stand up when guns were being fired and the cannon were being fired, the men were allowed to hide behind the decks or bow down. And I just thought, what an example. I mean, Nelson was killed in that battle, but what an example of leadership. And there's an example there even in terms of Christian leadership. Christian leaders have to be prepared to take the flag, perhaps even more so than our people. And then because things have been a, a bit heavy, I just I want you to, to listen to this. This is just one of my favourite clips, one of my favourite stories ever. And it's about time we used it. Hello, Ian. Long time no see. It's a big <laughs> You're alive. I'm alive, he says. How are you doing? <laughs> I can't believe that someone says you was dead. As you see, I'm very patient, and I'm so glad you've done so well with yourself. I don't know what to say. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. That is the footballer, Ian Wright, recording a programme, and he meets his old teacher. And it's just a beautiful story. Um, Well, here's part of that story. You went to Turnham School yeah. when you were about eight yeah. and you said you had a very very short attention span. Yeah. What was going on with you? I just found it very hard to, to focus on what they wanted me to do. If you had to write an essay, if, if you had to do maths or anything, it, you know, the teacher would have to spend a lot more time because I didn't quite grasp it. My handwriting was really poor. I wasn't confident with my reading. And then I remember being outside the classroom like for the third occasion and Mr Pigden, when he walked past, you know, I wouldn't even look at him. You know what I mean? I was so scared of him because he was really strict. And I remember on this third occasion, 
he looked at me, he looked down at me because I was seven. I was, I was at the school the other day because I had to do his plaque. And he looked down at me. It felt, <laughs> it felt like he was looking at me for an hour. And I wouldn't look at him, but I could see his clothes. I remember he had these, his shoes were so shiny. He had turn up trousers. His suit was always so immaculate. And then he looked at me and then he went into the classroom, said a couple of things to the teacher, this and that. And then he came back outside and he said, come with me. And that changed my life. The teacher changed his life. The teacher saw value in him. The teacher took care of him. The teacher taught him. The teacher respected him. The teacher was strict. This former RAF pilot, what a difference he made. And to see Wright's reaction, he took off his hat. Please do look at the video that I'll put up. Just beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. It'll make your week, honestly. Just go and have a look at it on the website. Thanks for listening. Let me know. Thanks for those of you who sent stuff in. Thanks for those of you who sent comments. Uh, Please do feel free to uh, let me have your criticisms as well. Um, If you want to support us, go to the Podbean fundraiser. Thanks to Peter Laverock for producing this. And please do go to the website, www.theweeflee.com to get all the links. And also for some more articles and stuff that we've been writing, go to the Ask website, uh, www.ask.org.uk. We'll finish with this. Um, This is Bob Dylan's Every Grain of Sand. I was reminded of it because of an article in The Spectator by Bez Lazarus reviewing Bob Dylan's recent concert in London where he finished with every grain of sand. In the time of my confession In the hour of my deepest need When the pool of tears beneath my feet Flood every newborn seed There's a dying voice within me Reaching out somewhere Toiling in the danger and in the morals of despair. Lazarus says that watching Dylan in his ninth decade was special enough. And I love that beautiful song. In the fury of the moment, I can see the master's hand in every leaf that trembles, in every grain of sand. I, it's, it's one of the most extraordinary songs for me because the poetry is absolutely outstanding. Onward in my journey I come to understand that every hair is numbered like every grain of sand. I hear the ancient footsteps like the motion of the sea. Sometimes I turn, there's someone there, at times it's only me. I'm hanging in the balance of the reality of man, it says, or said, of a perfect finished plan, like every sparrow falling, like every grain of sand. Beautiful, isn't it? God bless you. Bye. The sun be down upon the steps of time to light the way to ease the pain of idleness and the memory of decay. I gaze into the doorway of temptation's angry flame and every time Come to understand
have gone from rags to riches In the sorrow of the night In the violence of a summer street In the chill of a wintry light Then the bitter dance of loneliness Fading into space In the broken mirror of innocence on each forgotten face I hear the aging footsteps Like the motion of the sea Sometimes I turn There's someone there Other times it's only me I am hanging in the balance Of the reality of man like every sparrow falling, like every 